0: Today's scripture reading comes from Psalms, chapter 115, verses 1. That's Psalms 115, verse 1. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning everybody, Um, it's good to see you and it's good to see some old faces and friends that have been uh, with us for many years and are visiting. Uh, Also I just wanted to say thank you. I just received a Christmas gift from the affinity groups and I'm incredibly humbled and and actually um, really, really humbled. Uh, that you would think of me and uh, give me this gift. I promise to use it well, um, but I just wanted to thank you in person. Uh, Let's pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're continuing on our visions ser- sermon series. And as we do so, today we're going to talk about the glory of God. Um, a little bit of a history lesson I'm sure some of you may be familiar with. But there was something called the Hundred Year War. And Henry V of England... Um, is known to have been a remarkable king in fact uh, many believe that he would have been incredible but he died at a young age of thirty five from a fever uh, he was um, you know he wasn't that mature when he was younger but once he became king it's no it's said that he uh, really became in uh, in quote uh, from historians, Honest, Grave, and Modest. Uh, this was, a p- this is a pretty famous uh, battle that happened during the Hundred Year War under Henry V. And it's the Battle of Agincourt. Um, so he left England and he took 1,300 ships, 11,000 men, and he went into France. And in the French met him and his army in Agincourt on october 25th and so this opposing army they had they were very strong and they boasted many more men and they had cavalry uh, that they used knights on horses and what happened was they uh it was almost like a scene out of braveheart i don't know if you've seen that movie it's a little old um, not as old as this war but It's a little old, and what they did was they had bowmen, and these bowmen had these long bows, and they would shoot these long bows, and it would totally cripple the cavalry that would come after them. But before the long bows, they put in these stakes and these, like, sharp uh, spears on the ground, and the cavalry would easily normally jump over, but it just so happened that that season, it rained a lot, and it was muddy. So they couldn't jump over these really long stakes, and they would be deterred by these stakes. The longbowmen are now just taking care of these these cavalry, and they couldn't do anything about it. So eventually, they decided to turn around and go back, and there was just ruckus, chaos. As the cavalry turned around, there were also foot soldiers behind them, and they were all uh, just in all this mud, and then the English just jumped on top of them. Um, French historians put it as the English in that battle of Agincourt lost 1,600 men, while the French lost 10,000. And so this is pretty epic. And these are French historians. Shakespeare wrote a patriotic play called Henry V, and he put the English losses at just four commanders and 25 soldiers. One thing to note about this is several years before Agincourt, Henry V was given this verse as a guide, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Um, And so he would meditate on it. And after the battle of Agincourt, he commanded all his soldiers and men to kneel in that mud as they said psalm 115 in latin it was non nobis domine sed tibi sit gloria which meant not to us o lord but to thyself be glory and all the soldiers would kneel shakespeare has this version in his play as well where the king declares "O god thy arm was there was here and not to us but to thy arm alone ascribe we all And so a lot of commentators have also seen the very significance of this verse. William Wilberforce, whom we know as the person who abolished slave trade, when slave trade was abolished on that day, the passing of this bill, that slave trade was abolished, he was known to have meditated on this verse, Psalm 115.1. And A lot of people are now recognizing, wow, this seems like a victory verse. This is something that we meditate on when we have victory, saying, not to us, but to your name be the glory. But when you continue on reading the psalm, it's actually more of a plea than a victory chant. It's more of a plea for mercy than it is a cry of victory. And we see that this is incredibly deep. So even knowing this, when we think of William Wilberforce or Henry V in Agincourt, we see this has a very deep and profound meaning and weight for us to recognize. And so I want to pose these two questions as we look at what glory is. is. First is, what is glory? What is glory? And the second question is, what do we do with this glory? What is glory and what do we do with it? Glory in Hebrew is mostly signified by the word kavod. Kavod signifies something heavy, weighty. And its root in Hebrew was used for other words like riches or most commonly armament. Armament is like heavy military weapons. So what, when you said kavod, when you said glory, you would think heavy. When I think heavy, I want to start thinking about other things as well. You know, we live in a selfie generation. Um, What does that mean? That means we like taking pictures of ourselves. And what has happened is we have now become hyper aware of our shortcomings and failures. But we still want to be acknowledged. We still want some kind of glory. So we still post up our selfies. I'm not saying selfie is good or bad. I am just saying because of selfies, what has happened is now we have exponentially become hyper aware of our shortcomings. Oh, my goodness. When you start taking a lot of selfies, I'm I'm not speaking from experience, but (laughs) this is what I hear. Um, anyway, uh, when you start taking a lot of pictures of yourself, you realize, oh my goodness, one eye is bigger than the other. So next time I take a picture, this one eye has to be bigger. And my smile is a little crooked. Let me smile a certain way. Some of you are relating. Some of you are like, what? what is going on? Uh, I'm that latter part. But we become hyper aware of our shortcomings. But the reason why we continue to take it is... There's something about this glory and this heaviness we want attributed to us. And this is something that we really need to recognize and explore. We are also a do generation, D-O generation. Meaning all the people in all the multiple generations that are alive today is if you're not doing, then you are failing you got to be going out somewhere, traveling to some place, working on some project, meeting some people, exploring the world all at the same time. There is no downtime. There's always this high and up that we have to scale and traverse and achieve and accomplish. And if we don't do that, something is definitely wrong with our lives. We're hyper aware and we're always constantly doing. And this is actually not biblical. In fact, God is the one who had achieved everything, who didn't need to prove anything, who rests on the seventh day, the Sabbath. But all this, I would say, has to do with glory. All this has to do with weight. The average human adult weighs around 100 to 300 pounds. And with that weight comes some pride sometimes. Sometimes you may weigh some men, sup- I suppose, who are in physical competition may weigh 160 pounds and they would be very sad. So they would take weight gainers. So hopefully they could hit 220 pounds of pure muscle, not just, you know, McDonald's. But they would eat this uh, weight gainer so they could get muscle and they can say, wow, I have increased from 160 to 220 pounds. Maybe 60 pounds with 95% of that being muscle. And they would achieve this. They would strive hard for it. And we fluctuate from maybe 60 pounds at most in life as a human adult. And that makes a huge difference. You know, we need to fit in some kind of outfit or clothing. So we need to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds. In my case, it's a little more. But whatever the case is, it's a fluctuation And we fluctuate between maybe 100 and 300 pounds for the the vast majority of us. But let's look at a bigger picture. We may be going back and forth with muscle, with fat, whatever it is, with some kind of tissue from 100 to 300 pounds. But even in creation, the creatures that we are with, let's just take the blue whale. And as much muscle as I can put on, Can I challenge the blue whale and win? Can I just punch him right in that chin and knock him out? And the answer is yes, no, it's not. Obviously, it's not. And because the blue whale is so much more massive than I could ever be, even if I could put on some ridiculous amount of muscle, and let's say at my height I could put on 300 pounds of muscle, and I'm, you know, 6% body fat or whatever, 300 pounds in weight, I could take this blue whale on, um, I don't think so. The blue whale weighs 150 tons on average. 150 tons. You could just crush me by just putting his upper lip on me, right? 150 tons is 300,000 pounds. I'm messing with 300 pounds and imagining how great I would be at 300 pounds, but a blue whale is 300,000 pounds. Let's continue to go on. We we, we want to talk about not just weight, but as you move out, there's more about mass. Because weight is, you know, you all took physics, right? Weight is about the gravity. Thank you. Uh, Weight is about a gravitational pull from, like, Earth. And then you have weight. But outside of Earth, it's not about that. It's about mass. So we look at something even greater. We see that there's the moon. The moon's out there. It's 7.35 times 10 to the 22nd power kilograms. It's massive. It's huge. It's not even comparable to the blue whale. And just to put it in perspective, it's around uh, 3,500 kilometers in diameter. The moon is massive, but as massive as the moon is, and some people make fun, like, man, you're as massive as the moon, or your face is like the moon. I've heard some of that stuff, but your face is nowhere near the moon's mass. Um, It's not 3,500 kilometers wide, even though sometimes you may feel like it is. But as massive as the moon is, It's only 1.2% of the Earth's mass. 1.2% of the Earth's mass. And the Earth is around uh, 13,000 kilometers in diameter. And you would think, oh, because you learned Earth is so big. It has this gravitational pull on the moon. So you have the Earth here, the moon here, and the moon is kind of orbiting the Earth. But it's so massive. That the gravitational pull that the earth has so it could continue to orbit, there is a distance. And that distance is 384,000 kilometers. Three we're talking about 13,000 kilometers in width from the earth. The distance from the earth to the moon is 384,000. It fits about 30 earths to get to that moon. The distance from the earth to the sun is about 150 million kilometers, or 93 million miles. And at this point, some of you may be thinking that I should su- shut up about the sun. But the sun is 1.4 million kilometers in width. This is a massive, massive size. But even bigger than the sun, 1.4 mil, is the Vega star. Vega's 3.8. As big as the as big as the sun is, Vega's more than two times. The sun's diameter and mass. Then we have Rigel. We, we were looking at 1.4 million kilometers, 3.8 kilometers. Rigel is a little bit bigger at 97 million kilometers. 97 million kilometers in width. And then there is a Your Mom So Big joke in here somewhere, but I couldn't fit it exactly. But this is massive. These stars and these heavenly bodies that we now recognize and we can see because of science, they're incredible. And this is the universe that we live in. I want to show you a pic real, uh, really quickly. And this is, this you, may, you may know this or be familiar with it. This is famously known as the uh, pale blue dot. The pale blue dot. I don't know if you can really see it with the resolution here. But all the way on the right, you will see, oh, there's the arrow. magical. Um, all the way on the right, you see this pale blue dot. And what this was, this was a uh, camera picture that was taken from the Voyager. The Voyager was launched in 1977, prehistoric times. And as it was launched it went about 40 astronomical units, 40 AUs. One astronomical unit is 93 million miles, which is the distance from the Earth to the sun. So 40 means 40 times the Earth's distance to the sun. We have the Voyager go take this picture, and then it goes back. And um, we can go on to the next slide. And we see that that little pale blue dot is who we are. That's where we are. Whether you are, whether you, when we, f- when we figured this out, and this was, this happened at uh, 1990. Um, whether you were a person of faith or not of faith, when people saw this, it was moving. People needed to comment on it. People like Carl Sagan and other astrologers and cosmologists, they had to comment on it because they recognized. We are so small. All the things that we have been worrying about, all the things that completely crush us and we can't move on, the things that give us stress, the things that make us lose hair, get wrinkles, get bags under our eyes, make us lose sleep over. If you think about it, this puts a lot into perspective, the pale blue dot. And now the Voyager continues to go on. And now it's, I think, um, around 130 astronomical units away. And they disabled the camera because you can't take anything of anything. And this is how small we are compared to the incredible bodies, the heavenly bodies that we are surrounded with that are in the universe. Thank you for the putting the picture up. That's why when you think about it, We believe in a God that created the universe. That's bigger than any heavenly body. He is bigger than you and me. He weighs more than 200, 300 pounds. In fact, he is bigger than the blue whale. He's bigger than the moon. He's bigger than the earth. He's bigger than the sun. He's bigger than any body that exists in the universe. If you think about it, That's why what Moses says in Exodus, show me your glory, show me your heaviness, show me your weight is a crazy statement. It's a crazy statement. We can't, no less go to the sun, even going to Jupiter would crush us. We can't even handle Jupiter because that gravitational pull would crush us no matter how strong we are. No matter how much we can lift no matter how much muscle we attach to our body no matter how much protein creatine monohydrate we eat no matter what we do to our bodies we can't even handle jupiter but this is a god who is bigger than anything that we can recognize and then when moses goes i want to see your glory that's an incredible statement and you might be thinking yeah you're crazy for asking that. But there is something to it. There is something to it because we not only want to see grandeur, we not only want to witness majesty, we w- not only want to witness ultimate beauty, but we want to be with it. C.S. Lewis writes We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. That's why even when we go to um, nature and we recognize and witness nature, go to the Grand Canyon or climb a mountain, and we see this majestic forms of nature and beauty that we witness, there's something that happens inside of us. We long for it. We want to be with it. And what happens also is even though we can see a great spectacle or even a great achievement, and that draws us to itself, and we're in that pocket, we're still not satisfied. It doesn't last. So then we can either go from high to high, never really being able to settle on anything, or we could go for the real deal. The real deal. Even if it kills us. And this is what Moses recognized. Moses is like, I want to see your glory. God's like, you're going to die. There's no way you could survive. He's like, I want to see your glory. Because... As many highs that we can see, as, ma- as majestic and beautiful the ocean is, the islands that we visit, the mountains that form because of it, the, the nature that passes us by through our seasons, through our witnessing through science, through the huge astronomical bodies that we see. These things, as great as they are, do not fill us, and it does not last. And this is what we have to recognize too. How long are we going to be satisfied with crumbs on the floor when these crumbs were only meant for us to look up to the feast that is prepared at the table of God? We are now in the place where Moses was. We have this longing, but we just can't. We have the longing in our hearts, but we can't. Why? Why? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 gives us a little bit of insight, and knowing this, this blew me away. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, then the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe. By the word of his power, the God that we believe in, the God that exists, rules over the universe with just words. That's how powerful and massive he is. And when we sin, we fall short of this glory and we cannot take it because that sin is going to kill us as we approach the heaviness and the weight of God. We want it so bad. We want to see something bigger than the universe. We do, as massive as it is. We want to see something more mysterious and incredible than the deepest depths of the ocean that we, we could have ever gone to. We want to know something bigger that's alive than the biggest blue whale that we know. But we can't, because it's gonna kill us. And the Bible shows us why. It's because we have fallen short of the glory of God through our sin. And this is a kind of a sad story. If you think about it, this is something that we long for, but we can never get. It's like a druggie that continues to take drugs, but can never reach the ultimate high that she or he wants. It's basically humanity. And it's a sad story. But fortunately for us, It doesn't end that way. In Philippians 2, verse 7, it says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If God came down as he was, it would completely crush us and destroy us. There is no amount of holiness and strength and glory we could have achieved to withstand the glory of God or to even witness it. So God came to us, and he emptied himself of his glory, of his kavod, of his weightiness, so that it wouldn't crush us. And he took on a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of us. Now we can only imagine this, but imagine, just as we've, re- uh, we've memorized last week, now imagine the eternal, infinite, and unchangeable God come to earth As a man, small, human, fragile, he's eating bread because he gets hungry. Not only that, he wasn't even the highest or richest or strongest of these tiny human beings on this tiny earth, on this universe. No, but he didn't even have a place to rest his head. The infinite God bigger than the universe would humble himself to this degree so that he could be with us. Philippians 2 continues on to say that and being found in human form, he humbled himself being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how far he went to humble himself. That when we came, when he came, And we saw him. We were jealous. How can someone so fragile, someone without any weight at all, hold so much holiness and perfection? That's not right. That's not right. And we killed him. But death could not hold him. And he rose again. So that anyone who believes in him will also be raised with him in life as well. So when we exclaim, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We are recognizing that we are not the ones that we should be putting the weight on. We are not the ones that we should be putting the recognition on. The more selfies we take, the more we start to see our blemishes and shortcomings I'm not just talking about the physical snapshots of our life. I'm talking about every single area, whether it's a physical selfie or an emotional selfie or a spiritual selfie. When we take a snapshot of our life, when we continue to put weight on it, the more we see that we are not going to survive. Why are we so deluded into In this need to convince ourselves that we are beautiful regardless then. You know what? Someone calls you ugly, crucify him. Get rid of him. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. And surround yourself with like-minded people, but it's just people that won't admit any evident depravity in our lives. And eventually and ultimately we fight and hate, make war, and kill We blame, there's no unity, there's no progress, there's no growth. Not to us is saying exactly that. Maybe the problem wasn't that I needed to overlook my deficiencies or succumb and be crushed by it. Maybe the problem is that in the beginning of that sentence, the problem is that I've been looking at me. Not to us. I have to stop taking and obsessing Over my own selfies, whether it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I need to look elsewhere. But where? Not to us, but to your name. Oh, Lord, we give the weight. We give the glory. When Jesus was crucified, he took on all our sins. All our falling short of the glory of God. And he took it on himself. And instead, he imputed to us. His righteousness, his perfection, his standing with God. That's what it means. When he imputes his righteousness to us through the cross, through his death, we are saying that he imputed, he gave us, he put on us his standing with God. What was his standing with God? John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God, his Righteousness was that of God Himself, and for Him to impute that righteousness to us is not a small thing. That's why when we asked, that's when people asked, Show us the Father, show us the Father, Jesus was able to respond, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because He was with the Father. Not to us, but to your name give glory, not only means that we acknowledge our weaknesses, but we acknowledge God's greatness. The ultimate reality of life is that God is the ultimate reality. He is the standard and he keeps that standard. And no one else can keep that standard. And that's why it's hard to see and feel sometimes. It's hard to see and feel. How can I even see the standard, imagine the standard, keep the standard of an infinite God? That's why the psalmist adds... For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's not a cry of victory, but it's a plea for mercy. Calling upon God to hold on to his promises. And I believe this is an apt prayer for us to pray in our own personal and our corporate lives. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness and when that happens something changes within us and we realize the reason why we wanted to see and be with God to have him show us his glory is because we were made to reflect God's glory if there is any radiance that we have it's God's radiance shining through us And when we live that way, we see the world change. We see the universe change. We see all of reality change. I want to end with this. um, There's a famous composer named J.S. Bach. And he wrote that all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. This is what he wrote. And that's why in every single single one of his compositions, J.S. Bach wrote JJ in the heading. And JJ stands for Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. And at the end of every composition, he wrote SDG. And SDG stands for solely day gratia which means to god alone the praise now i can't help but to wonder j s bach probably reflected and meditated on psalm 115 as well and when we see that this is what god meant for us we start our day with jj and we end it with sdg jesus help me and to god alone praise not only our days but our seasons we started our season with jj and i know we will end it with sdg soli de gratia and i pray this is our life journey this is something that we will not only be able to witness but we will be able to proclaim saying this is what god is doing for cgs and us personally I'm hoping that we can uh, sing a song in reflection of that. And it's just the chorus of this old song. And it's, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. When we sing this, I am praying that the Holy Spirit will move within our congregation. And move to show us that by us saying, I surrender all is actually incredibly deep and profound statement saying, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but we give glory to your name.